Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. Hey, we're glad you are with us on the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. He's Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. We're brought to you today by Honey. If you want to save money shopping online, Honey's the way to go. Just go to joinhoney.com slash martini. Couldn't be easier to save money online. Yesterday, we had all bad martinis. They're all crazy today. So we're still without a good martini, at least till midweek. Jim, let's start with our first crazy martini, and it stems off of one of yesterday's bad martinis, and that's the NBA with uh, respect to China. And, of course, the tweet from the general manager of the Houston Rockets, Daryl Morey, uh, that said, stand up for Hong Kong, and China threw a conniption fit. They are cutting off communications with the Rockets, and we've got kind of a, a good news, crazy news aspect here. I really expected pro sports most woke commissioner, and that is not an easy title to win. Uh, Adam Silver, <laughs> to uh, to really fold here, along with uh, the original NBA statement and the owner of the Rockets and James Harden and everybody else who's just groveling here because of the number of dollars involved. But Silver's not really doing that. Uh, in one statement he made to Japan's Kyoto News, he says, I think as a values-based organization that I want to make it clear that Daryl Morey is supported in terms of his ability to exercise his freedom of expression. What I am supporting is his freedom of political expression in this situation. Then in a little bit more of a woke statement, but still better than what we saw yesterday, Silver again talked at great length about the diversity of the NBA, people from many different countries, 25% of NBA players born outside the United States. we got offices all around the world, including in China, Hong Kong, and he calls it Taipei. He says it's inevitable People around the world, including from America and China, will have different viewpoints over different issues. It's not the role of the NBA to adjudicate those differences. However, the NBA will not put itself in a position of regulating what players, employees, and team owners say or will not say on these issues. We simply could not operate that way. He also says that NBA is already losing money based on what Maury said, but he's sticking behind his right to say what he said. Steve Kerr is a very outspoken guy. He, of course... uh, in my world, is most famous for hitting the game-winning shot in Game 6 of the 1997 Finals for the Chicago Bulls as they won their fifth of six glorious titles in the 1990s. But more recently, of course, he's the coach of the Golden State Warriors and has been obviously very successful there. He also likes to speak out on how much he doesn't like Donald Trump, how much he wants to regulate or in some cases ban guns. And so he's not ashamed to uh, talk about politics. Except now. He was asked about this on Monday and he was oddly oddly quiet about this. Here's a couple of clips mashed together. What I've found is that it's it's easy to speak on issues that I'm passionate about and that I feel like I'm well-versed on. It's more I'm just trying to learn. You know, my, uh, my brother-in-law is actually a Chinese history professor, and I emailed him today to tell me what I should be learning about all this and what's happening. So... I'm trying to learn just like everybody else is. Oh, suddenly quiet. Not ready to uh, leave the party line here. He also said the NBA did not tell them what to say or what not to say. So, Jim, uh, interesting uh, diversions from character there for, for Steve Kerr. And Silver, while better, is making it abundantly clear that he's not taking sides in any of this. Yeah. Um, Kerr really deserves to get knocked around by this. Because he's not a guy who's been shy, whether it's, you know, talking about President Trump or police brutality or, or you know, a wide variety of topics. And, you know, when Laura, the, Laura Ingram's The World say, you know, shut up and sing. No, hey, 
leaders and professional athletes are, you know, they have voices in society. They have a platform and they are meant to use it to make the world a better place and to call attention to injustices, Greg, but only when they're passionate about it. And, you know, two million Uyghurs in concentration camps just doesn't get Steve Kerr all that motivated. Yeah, there's only things he wants to get really informed about. And, you know, as he mentioned elsewhere in another interview, Greg, this whole thing in Hong Kong is so bizarre. On the one hand, you've got the uh, police shooting people. And on the other hand, you've got the people being shot by the police. How are you supposed to make sense of that, Greg? You know, I mean, like those two million warriors, how, how do we know they didn't wander into those concentration camps all by themselves? This is maddening. And uh, my whole morning jolt today is just basically all about how this idea that, look, they said greater interaction with China was going to make, spread our values to there. And I think you can make an argument based on what we're seeing from the NBA. No, it has spread China's values to here. And what's really interesting is, you know, as I'm right before we started uh, recording, I was putting pictures of the Red Dawn remake um, that was originally supposed to depict a Chinese invasion of the United States. And then all of a sudden the studio's like, no, 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 we want movies to come out in China. So quick, change it. So all of a sudden it depicted North Korea, you know, with its, what, couple million people uh, conquering the United States in a sneak attack and taking over. And only Chris Hemsworth, you know, slumming from playing Thor can save us in the Pacific Northwest. Look, Greg, you and I would agree, Red Dawn is probably one of the pivotal and seminal works of Western civilization and full of life lessons for all of us, whether you see yourself as Charlie Sheen, do you see yourself as Jennifer Grey, do you see yourself as, as uh, Patrick Swayze? I mean, there are role models for all of us in that, in that movie there, Greg. There was a movie, you know, that was basically very clear, you know, here's, here's what a Soviet takeover would look like. And the fact that they couldn't make a movie in which China was the villain was kind of an early, you know, that was the canary in the coal mine, suddenly coughing and killing over here. Um, this statement from the general manager of the Houston Rockets was not China tear down this wall referring <laughs> to the uh, Great Wall of China. It was a very, you know, it was pretty, you know, a small scale stand with Hong Kong. What I'm marveling at, Greg, is, look, you know, it's, it's the NBA, right? I mean, each team's got 12 players, 30-some teams. God knows how many assistant coaches, coaches, general managers, owners. There's a whole, it's hundreds of guys out there, not to mention the various commentators, retired players, uh, free agents looking for another, you know. As far as I can tell, Greg, none of them have come out and said a single thing in support of the general manager or anything critical of China. Do you think these men all agree on anything else in this world? They, they have an unbelievable multitude of opinions. But we found the one issue that these guys are completely unified on. And what they're unified on is that there's nothing that they want to say or nothing worth saying about what's going on in Hong Kong right now. It's disgusting. It's baffling. I'm really glad to see that it does appear like they're getting some really brutal coverage. But it's Adam Silver. Apparently, all, when I first found out the morning, Joel, I kept saying Adam Stern, which was, a, you know, <laughs> the previous owner was David Stern. So yes. I'm mixing up my NBA uh, commissioners here. Silver's second statement was a little bit better. I, he sounds like a guy who realizes he's stepped in it, who realizes he's in a bad situation and realize there's something he wants to say he stands by the general manager, but he can't, or if he does, it's not only going to cost his league a fortune. It's probably going to may very well put the uh, league's uh, employees and people who are working to build this relationship with the Chinese government in greater danger. So the only thing he can really do is to say, Hey, he's got a right to say it. Uh, and we're not going to defy that. Um, it's not a great statement, but it's a so, little bit of an improvement. What was really kind of fascinating, Greg, is that if the Chinese came over here in that Red Dawn scenario, 
and their troops were coming and they were trying to set up their camps and propaganda posters and all that kind of stuff. We would, you know, like, oh, we, we got to stop this, right? You know, we, we would all suddenly, you know, because Americans don't like being told what to do, don't like being told what to think. We like our freedom. But when all of a sudden the incentive is not someone coming in with a, you know, AK-47 or a Kalashnikov and saying, we're going to make you do this. But all of a sudden, it's like you can take that point of view you know, that you can say that you can hold those perspectives, you can advocate for those causes, but you will lose access to a million, uh, sorry, a billion customers. You will lose a fortune because of this. All of a sudden, that's a lot more powerful for enforcing conformity, for enforcing self-censorship instead of overt censorship. And it's kind of it's really kind of frightening, Greg, and it's kind of more. This is managing to achieve what a police state probably couldn't do because people just inherently and naturally hate police states and will try to rebel against it in ways that they can. Nobody wants to give up uh, a billion dollars. And that's what everybody sees as you know, personally at stake when it comes to the issues uh, dealing with uh, China and speaking out about the crimes of its government. Yeah, still pretty weaselly on the part of the NBA. I will say that I would like to see a lot more from people in Washington, though, too. They've been Mm. awfully quiet and and weak on this issue as well. And so my recommendation for Adam Silver, uh, the people who now suddenly can't find their tongue in the NBA and politicians in Washington, crash course from the experts. Their names are Trey Parker and Matt Stone. They are the Mm. creators of South Park, and they had an episode last week that is at least partially, if not entirely, censored because they went after China. Uh, Here's their apology, quote-unquote, yesterday. Like the NBA, we welcome the Chinese censors into our homes and into our hearts. We, too, love money more than freedom and democracy. She doesn't look just like Winnie the Pooh at all. Tune into our 300th episode this Wednesday at 10. Long live the great Communist Party of China. May this autumn sorghum harvest be bountiful. We good now, China? Jim, that's about as good as you can do there, right? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it's been a little bit frightening the number of times they've taken on big, powerful cultural institutions. I think back to the Muhammad cartoons and stuff like that. And nobody else follows them, Greg. You notice that they, they, you know, they're not... Um, they really stand alone in a lot of these circumstances. And on one hand, bravo to them. On the other hand, you know, at some point they will have made their billions or, or made their money and, and have, you know, said everything they had to say with South Park. And I kind of wonder, I don't know, but I don't see anybody out there who's set to, to carry that torch. But then again, uh, Greg, you and I might be um, aging out of the demographic for <laughs> the kind of humor that South Park does. Maybe so. I noticed that show debuted in 1996. I don't know how old those kids are supposed to be in that show. <laughs> they're like elementary age, like 10 or 11 or something, I think. Mm-hmm. So they're now in their uh, mid-30s. That'd be a fun uh, twist on it now. Have Eric Cartman in his mid-30s and see what he's doing with his life. But uh, that's a whole other story. So, Jim, the frustration over China is uh, is a major issue. And uh, if you ever try to buy something online and then find out you could have gotten it for less, I don't know if it's worse than finding out that one of the major sports leagues is kowtowing to a communist power, but it's definitely very frustrating. Not to mention, once that happens, you feel like you could be overpaying every time you shop. But luckily, we have Honey, the free browser extension that saves you time and money when shopping online. Honey scans the internet for coupon codes and other discounts, and then like magic, it automatically applies the one with the biggest savings to your cart at checkout. It knows about every coupon code, sale, discount, everything you can think of at more than 20,000 sites like Amazon, where you can get between two scorpions, Macy's, J. Crew, Domino's, Sephora, Target, and more. 
You just shop like normal and Honey will find you the savings. And believe me, it feels amazing. Like a dollar being accepted at a vending machine on the first try kind of amazing, which as we all know is theoretical, but no one's ever actually seen it happen. <laughs> That's right. It always sends it out. So Honey is about as simple as it gets. And like we just said at the top, it finds the discounts for you. You don't have to go hunting for special codes or uh, discount offers where you have to put in the keywords or anything like that. It does it for you. Uh, our uh, operations manager here, Rich McFadden, has used it. He says it's a lifesaver. It saves him a ton of time. And you just feel like you've done something productive without actually having done anything at all, except going on the site and buying anything. But you've uh, saved yourself. You've saved your company uh, a bunch of money. And you can do it over and over and over again. Honey has found its 10 million users over a billion dollars in savings. So not only do you get great products, you get a discount. You're going to feel great doing it. And so is your wallet going to appreciate that. So listen, there's really no reason not to use the Honey app. It's free to use and literally installs on your computer in just two clicks. And not Joe Biden literally. It literally takes two clicks. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash martini. That's joinhoney.com slash martini. All right, Jim, I know you are a big uh, consumer of pop culture. You host a pop culture podcast. You tweet about it on a regular basis and... I know there are certain genre that you love, uh, whether it's uh, Marvel stuff. I know you're a big Twin Peaks fan. Uh, so whether it's TV series, miniseries, movies, there's a lot of different uh, areas that you like. So I know you're totally jacked up for the new CBS miniseries focusing on James Comey. It's focusing on his new book. Uh, and, of course, it's not going to be sanctimonious at all. Uh, Jeff Daniels. Michigan native, I might point out. Also the guy who's known for Dumb and Dumber and The Newsroom, among many other projects. And his career is going to be playing James Comey. And it's going to be, what is it, a four-hour miniseries that I guess is supposed to look at his whole career from back in the time he was in the Bush administration, maybe even the time he was a U.S. attorney. And, of course, it's going to get to the Clinton investigation and the, and the Trump investigation. So, Jim, I don't know with commercial breaks and so forth, how many times in four hours you can have him speaking to himself in a corner, asking if he's doing the right thing, and of course answering that he is. But uh, what do you make of CBS going down this road? First of all, you have this feeling of, did did Comey cast it himself? And he's, he's kind of telling, you know, Jeff Daniels, well, you're going to have to put lifts in your shoes to make you taller to, to represent me. Some A lot of people, the instant response of a lot of folks is, well, okay, all right, it makes the guy from Dumber and Dumber. Of course he's the guy you'd, you'd cast as Jim Comey. Uh, but actually, let's face it, to those who could stand the newsroom, the HBO series in which he played, Jeff Daniels was basically playing um, Keith Olbermann, but less likable, <laughs> um, more arrogant, more smug, more condescending and, and insufferable. Um, Will McAvoy was the name of that character. And Jeff Daniels played him. Um, I don't know about you, Greg. I, 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 this is a bit of a segue, but it's worth worth asking. Greg, when you watch shows, first of all, do you watch a lot of shows that are set in radio stations? Not often. Uh, I remember news radio and WKRP, okay. but that's really dating myself. Go ahead. WKRP. I mean, it's, it's not as big a location for shows as it used to be. But like, do you watch it and you say, oh, that's not how it works? No, no, <laughs> it's not how, no, that's not accurate. No, we don't do it that way. Because I watched one episode of The Newsroom and one guy had a college roommate who was apparently live texting from the uh, oil company just as the Deepwater Horizon was happening. 
And his college roommate out of the blue decides to start texting him quotes from this board meeting of the company and how they're going to cover up the safety problems at the deep water horizon and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, that's not how it works. That's not how it happens. That's not how journalism is. Aaron Sorkin does not understand how journalism works. His idea of good journalism is just like having all of the sources magically just, you know, come up to the reporters and, you know, and then Will McAvoy gives his big stern talk, you know. But in this sense, having Jeff Daniels play a Washington figure who's kind of smug and full of himself and thinks he's God's gift to the world and he's the only honest man in the entire, you know, left in a terrible world of moral compromises. Actually, for casting Jim Comey, you kind of nailed it. Good for you, uh, CBS. Um, now, the couple interesting thoughts about it, clearly it's going to be mostly about Trump and it's going to be heroic Comey and bad Trump and all that kind of stuff. I read Comey's book. It was, you know, alternatingly interesting and revealing and it's also struck me as being very strategically edited to take away uh like you never get any sense of what james comey thinks of uh hillary clinton which you'd think would be a big deal <laughs> this was a big deal in 2016 didn't say it very much um he also he talked about the, the mark rich pardon and ultimately he, the the section ends with a ultimately we did not find enough evidence to recommend prosecution you never got any sense of what comey thought of bill clinton based on all that investigation into the mark rich pardon did you think maybe it was legal, but it was, you know, a scuzzy thing to do? You know, we never get any of that kind of stuff. So um, struck me as being very strategically edited in order to market to a pre-existing Trump-hating demographic. And there were up interesting points where I said, you know, at one point uh, they find the, the extra classified emails on the laptop belonging to Anthony Weiner. They're looking at that one for, for kitty porn stuff. It's, it's pretty, pretty ugly and sordid. But, oh, wait a minute, Huma uses this laptop too. There's classified info on this. And they decide, well, we got to, you know, and he's debating, you know, do I, he's basically having his meeting with his staff. I have to tell Congress this and Congress is going to leak it. And this is going to blow up the election three weeks before election day. But I got to do it because otherwise I'm breaking the promise to Congress. And he doesn't say who he says, an FBI lawyer. And he uses a feminine pronoun. And I'm pretty sure that's Lisa Page. I could be wrong, but I, I think it fits the description because that F, unnamed FBI lawyer says, do you realize that by doing this, you could be throwing the election to Trump? And Comey gives this whole speech about that's a good question, but we have an uh, obligation to a higher other blah, blah, blah. You know, look at me. I am the last moral man in Washington. No, that's not a good question. That's a terrible question. You're arguing that the FBI should hide information that it promised to give to Congress because it could actually you know, out of the fear that it could elect Trump or something. So it'd be interesting to see how they play scenes like that. Um, having seen, you know, uh, uh, a movie studio create a movie in which Dan Rather is the victim. Uh, and those perfidious bloggers in their pajamas are the bad guys. I'm fully expecting this to be heavy-handed propaganda, Greg. But we'll see how oh, stranger things have happened. we got a pretty good Chappaquiddick movie, so we'll see what happens. All right, let's go to our final crazy martini now, Jim. And uh, it's easy to forget sometimes, but there are other people technically running for the Republican presidential nomination. Bill Weld, Joe Walsh, and Mark Sanford, two of which, Walsh and Sanford, uh, we're on CNN over the weekend with Jake Tapper, and Sanford was on Fox News Channel with Bill Hemmer. And uh, when it came to impeachment and the discussion on CNN, Walsh was all for it. He was practically pounding holes through the table, saying he's seen enough. It's time to get him out of office. Sanford didn't want to rush it, said a censure might be more appropriate. Then uh, Bill Hemmer asked him uh, who he'd vote for, assuming he wasn't the nominee, which is a pretty good assumption. Now everybody's looking at this uh, quote from uh, Sanford scratching their heads where he says, I believe I'll vote for President Trump. It's my default. And Jim, it kind of is an interesting twist on where we were just about three years ago when everyone was 
horrified that Trump raised his hand at that first GOP debate when the first question was, are any of you not committing to voting for the nominee regardless of who it is? And he was the only one who raised his hand. And uh, other people on that stage didn't raise their hand and turned out that they didn't tell the truth because they didn't vote for Trump in 2016. Uh, So what do you make of uh, Sanford doing this? It certainly seems odd when you're still running. Uh, Once you get out, maybe it's uh, time to to get behind the party's nominee. But uh, what are you seeing here as uh, Sanford talks like this? Yeah, at first, my first thought, Greg, was I was ready to make fun of, you know, there goes Mark Sanford again. What a weirdo. You know, this, and he always has had this strange uh, quirkiness to him, even beside from the Appalachian Trail scandal and things like that. Uh, he always had this flair for theatricality and this idea of bringing the, the, the hogs to the floor of the state house to argue against pork barrel spending and stuff like that. But the more I think about it, the more I think actually his his argument is maybe better faith and, and more honest and a better answer than what Walsh is saying. Because the Walsh argument is uh, Trump's the worst and Trump's a disaster and we got to get Trump out of there. Uh, and I will, you know, he's, he's, he's such a menace that I will, you know, not vote for Trump. So he'll either vote for the Democrat or maybe vote libertarian, vote one of those third party or independent options. And I, I suppose, you know, if that's what Walsh thinks, okay, go ahead. You know, you can probably make an argument though that once your attitude is, you know, nominate me or I'm not vote, I'm not, you know, I'm voting for the other party. You're not really much of a Republican anymore, are you? Right. But you're basically saying, Republicans, you have an option: nominate me or I'm out of here. And and I, I I will let you. And most Republicans would be like, well, let, don't let the door hit you on, on the way out. Whereas the Sanford argument is, well, I'm a Republican. Um, I want to be the nominee. I think I'm a better choice than the current president, but. If I don't get the nominee, I will still support the party, which is what, as you said, what we used to expect of candidates. Yeah, I figure, I mean, Ronald Reagan voted for Ford in, in 1976, didn't he? Probably. <laughs> right. I mean, we got, you know, uh, you know, certainly you know, there's no, he did, it's not like he kept on running as an independent or something like that. Right. Um, I think Buchanan went behind Bush in 92. Probably have to go back and double He got to speak that. at the go. convention, so I assume he did. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, the, the general attitude was you hold the primary. I think I'm a better choice than the incumbent. You know, we very rarely have them succeed. But if you you know, you, you get a great speaking gig, you endure you 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 patch up the differences. So maybe the incumbent promises you you'll get to be some important position in his cabinet in the second term, or you know, ambassador to some nice country or something like that. You know, you get some sort of reward for doing well in it. But then you you decide to continue to try to help the party. Um, Walsh is basically saying, you know, if I'm not the nominee, I'm out of here, and I'll just you know go to you know permanent residence as the token Republican on MSNBC or something like that, as if they don't have a bumper crop in that category right there. <laughs> um, you know, Sanford, I don't think he's returning to public office anytime soon. I think, you know, as I mentioned, he's left a lot of bad blood uh, down in that South Carolina first district, but at least he's kind of recognizing that if he wants to steer policy in a more rightward direction, that if you don't get the nomination and Donald Trump is renominated to be the president of the United States, of the Republican party in Charlotte in uh, 2020, summer of 2020, which everybody expects to happen, then he's probably the more rightward of the two options. Probably got a whole bunch of flaws, got a whole bunch of policies we disagree with, a whole bunch of decisions we disagree with. But if you want to move the country in a more conservative direction, you know, Elizabeth Warren's not going to do that for you. Joe Biden's not going to do that for you. I mean, you know, could you vote for a libertarian? Yeah, I guess. You know, could you could you vote for you know theoretically any of those might move it in a semi uh, right or righteous direction, but not nearly as much as nominating a Republican president for all of his flaws. So I, I was ready to go this and see you know really slam him. And the more I think about it, you know, 
you, wait, 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 with what Walsh is saying, which is that no, he's never going to vote for Trump and he won't support Trump if Trump's the nominee. What do we need you for, Walsh? Like what, what, what operationally distinguishes you from a Democrat if that's your stance, that the, 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 the Trump Republican Party has to be defeated at all costs, even if you know, that a, a Democrat is superior? There are a whole bunch of really frustrated Republicans out there who, who don't like either of those options. But the moment you start saying, yeah, I'll vote for a Democrat over that, what makes you different from a Democrat? Tough question for these guys, I think, Greg. It is. And it's the same for these guys who aren't running for anything but uh, are licking their chops because some reason they think they're going to be uh, big players in the GOP again once the Trump era is over, whether that's sooner or later. All these guys that told us to vote for Democrats in the midterms last year, the Crystals, the Sykes, the the Boots, all these guys who uh, are so principled that they decided it was important to vote against every Republican, regardless of what, where they stood on Trump or anything else, for the good of the party. So uh, good luck uh, getting back into the good graces of GOP voters. Keeping in mind, once in a great while, you would see Republicans pushing back against Trump. We could argue about whether it was often enough. And I think you'd say, you know, many people would say uh, not often enough. But, you know, on, on Russia, on some of the tariffs, actually, you're seeing this recent, you know, decision about uh, letting the Turks go into northern Syria to go after the Kurds. Right? There are times Republicans do push back on this group. And if you replace them with Democrats, one, you don't have any guarantee the Democrats will push back, at least on these issues. Uh, you know, ultimately, the, the Democrats are perfectly fine with tariffs. They're not a pro-free trade party. You know, but if you're a conservative frustrated with Trump, a Democrat, you know, Trump is going to give you we can argue the percentages, half of what you want, 40% of what you want, you know, less of what you want than you want. A Democrat's going to give you almost nothing you want. So how does that get better? Uh, you know what, as, as frustrating as all this is, Greg, I do have a little, there is one silver lining. You know what that is? What? Sam Donald has been cleared to play on Sunday. Congratulations. I just thought that has nothing to do with Trump or the 2020 uh, Republican nominee. I just felt like sharing that with everyone because it's the only good news I've had in quite some time. Hey, that's good. That means we just try not to kill him because his spleen is still might be slightly enlarged. Yes. Let's keep the spleens healthy. Let's uh, let's try to get some wins this weekend, too. In the meantime, we'll try to find a good martini this week. Absolutely no promises. But what we can promise you is savings if you use the Honey app when you go shopping online. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash martini. Jim, talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. Between Two Scorpions, I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to us online. Leave us a nice review, assuming you like us. And we'll talk to you again on Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.